This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes. I am one of your hosts, Tom Franklin here, and uh, I know what you're thinking right now. I normally would be playing some Gloria right now to get us into episode 58 of Blue Notes, or as I like to call it, the Dan High Note edition of Blue Notes. The only blue to ever wear number 58. Well, this is the start of a new era with this episode and going forward. Like the Blues, we have to retire Gloria. It's been about a year. Um, and it just I didn't feel right continuing on with Gloria as our theme song because the Blues did not continue on with it as their theme song. So... We've been looking for a song that uh, I feel would be appropriate for this podcast um, that, you know, gives you a good feel-good vibe going into the podcast and is a song about the St. Louis Blues. And a guy on Twitter who goes by Teriyaki Fingers on Twitter, at Teriyaki Fingers, gave us this song. And I heard it, I listened to it, I loved it. And I decided that's going to be our song. And I got Wags on board for it. And I talked to the Teriyaki Fingers himself, who goes by the name of Luke Whitbin. And we got permission to have this be our theme song going forward. So without further ado, you're going to hear the whole thing. Uh, And I'm going to hit play right now. I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink. When along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me He said, I bet you never liked the blues until they won a cup So I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize But listen, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. That team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup in here, 52, man. Give me a let's go blues. I know Arbor, Unger, Picker, Plager, Rab McDonald, Shock, Hall, Chris Moore, Patey, Harvey, Jimmy, Robert, Sabarin, Baronson, Thompson, Akers, Hester, Barrow, Pierre, Plant, Jock, Plant, Gossip, Merrick, Ritz, Rabano, Stevenson, Davidson, St. Marseille, McCreary, Leftley, Ecclestone, Huck, Palace, Harry, Talbot, Keenan, Stanley, Yassi, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man, got a cup in here, 52, man, give me a let's go blues. I know Federko, Turnbull, Gilmore, Brown, Chattel, Bothwell, Baybitch, Mahar, Mullen, Millen, Sutter, Pedersen, Pavisey, Curry, Zuckley, Uther, Hunter, Schofield, Reeds, Ramage, Kia, Dunlop, Wickenheiser, Crombie, Benning, Raglan, Ewan, Nicoletti, Ramage, Romney, Pavlovsky, Evans, Cavallini, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man, got a cup in here, 52, man, gimme a let's go blues. I know Brett, Hall, Cortnall, Campbell, Cujo, Jenny, Oates, Brown, Chase, Jure, Zombo, Sezzle, Butcher, Shanny, Tilly, Tuttle, Sutter, Twister, Turcock, Kimball, Turgeon, Baron, Bassin, Pronger, Pearson, Bergevin, Bozon, Al McKinnis, Chuck, Howard, Chuck, Petrovicki, Pellerin, Dimitra, Yate, Corson, Conrad, Gretzky, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man, got a cup near 52, man, gimme a let's go blues. 
I know Jackman, Johnson, Eastwood, Backman, Wait, Walt, Hanzus, Nastrick, Jansen, Boys Young, Jammer King, Salvador, Korea, Brewer, Low, Pollock, Finley, Turk, Sanya, Buganecki, Jay McKee, McDonald, Mellon, Vichayana, Kavanaugh, Mason, Manny, Stillman, Stephanie, Yak, McClement. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. That team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup in year 52, man. So give me a let's go blues. I know Oshie, Backus, Berglund, J-Bo, Perron, Petros, Tina, Allen, Tarasenko, Gunnarsson, Bennington, Edmund, Shen, Stastny, Elliott, Fabry, Shattenkirk, O'Reilly, Schwartz, Reeves, Yarrow, Barber, Sheparenko, Dunn, Langer, Bruner, Aportuzo, Kola, Yakubo. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. A team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup in year 52, man. So give me a we went blue. Ladies and gentlemen, the new era of Blue Notes has begun. This is episode number 58. I'm your host, Tom Franklin, joined as always by the man called Wags. Wags, uh, we, we, we had to put the old girl down. You know, Gloria is now a thing of the past, not just for the blues, but for Blue Notes. And uh, uh, what do you think of the new song, Wags? It is an absolutely incredible. It's a banger. Uh, it is, and the fact that you're able to get that many blues players into a song so clearly and so perfectly, it fits so well with our our podcast. It was unbelievable. You know, it was just you know I when when I heard the song, you know, for one, I'm a big Johnny Cash fan, and you know, I I I'm just like you know, I have to talk to this guy. I have to I have to I have to bring this guy on the podcast to explain himself and explain his lyrical ability to fit like Wickenheiser and Pazlowski in and and actually say their names in, you know, point zero two seconds, you know, and still understand it. Uh, so we've done that actually. We are we're kind of breaking the format a little bit here on Blue Notes. Uh, we've been doing of course our uh, all-time bracket, a bracket of our own where we try to whittle down 64 blues players of yore into one winner. We are going to preview the round of eight uh, and also recap the uh, round of 16 before and after hole forwards that just completed this week. Uh, We will get to it, but first we have a musical genius amongst us here on blue notes hailing from the beautiful twin cities of Minnesota The man behind the new theme song of Blue Notes, the one, the only, Luke Widbin. How are we doing, guys? You know, I I'm doing much better now. Now that we've you know we we've got a new song, it's like it's like putting on a crisp brand new shirt. You know, it just you know it feels good. You know, and it's it's I I gotta say first of all, man, congratulations on 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 an absolute blues masterpiece with your song seriously well well yeah thank you so much you know i've i i listened to uh to your podcast and i actually like the 8-bit gloria i really do though (laughs) i understand the need that if the blues retired it you know maybe the podcast has to move on too but uh hopefully your your fans enjoy the new song uh as much as the 8-bit gloria because i found that to be a little fun and nostalgic too kind of like playing nhl 94 or something like that oh yeah i i love 8-bit music i mean we have uh um you know whenever we bring on an interview like normally if 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 you were to appear in the middle of our episodes i'd lead in with some old nhl 94 when the blues go marching in 
Um, and then uh, we always close out with Country Roads. Uh, we have an 8-bit version of that as well. So 8-bit music still lives on. We just have a di- we just have a different classic leading off our show now. So uh, first first thing I got to ask you here. So you and it goes all the way back to the start of the song. So you know you're talking about uh, uh, being in Minnesota and a wild fan confronting you. Uh, first of all, uh, you, you live in the Twin Cities. What what uh, have you lived there all your life? Uh, are you originally from St. Louis? Uh, so the family roots are from St. Louis. Uh, my dad grew up in the St. John's kind of near the airport, uh, area. And my mom grew up in Granite city. And so, uh, I am a product of geography, I guess, though, by the time I was born, uh, I'm actually 30 years old. So I say, I know these guys because I had to research them. So part of the problem of uh, being a blues fan that as a kid grew up in Blackhawks territory. I kind of grew up in the Quad Cities area. Okay. Then we moved to Northwest Iowa, which is just not ho- hockey territory at all. And then I went to college and have uh, set up roots here in in the Twin Cities. And so when you are a diehard blues fan that has all the all the family traditions, and you know we'd always go to games, grandparents, both sets still lived in the area really um, up until recently. And so you know, that, that was vacation going to St. Louis, going to the Kiel center, uh, as it was when I was growing up and that type of thing, you have to research. And so whether it was family stories or whether it was just picking up bits and pieces, uh, for me as a kid, I was that nerd with the hockey almanac, um, which I've now passed on to my daughter. It's the hockey almanac 2000. (laughs) And now that we actually have like some good blue stuff, I may have to get her an updated version, but so that was that was the reading I did. That was trying to keep up with the blues in the internet infancy era up until what we have now. So that's where being a blues fan started. Um, obviously, try to catch all the blues games here in Minnesota. And that very first game uh, of this season, I guess, uh, it was a a drunken post game encounter <laughs> of, of of sorts. I was like, ah, I bet you never even liked that team until this year. And that that first thought in my head was, oh, man, if if you've survived the Vladimir Chebaturkin era of the Blues, like, you're going to survive anything, I swear. And so I was like, you you don't know the half of it. Now, I didn't I didn't rattle off everything to him in that moment, but that was kind of the, the, the thought in my mind for kind of setting up this whole ridiculous song. God, Chebet Turkin sounds like something that would keep people isolated inside their homes because, you know, you don't want to catch the Chebet Turkin. Uh, it, it's, it's the Chebet Turkin virus. Hopefully we can skip next year. It, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the fingers crossed. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. Definitely. Don't even get me started on the Sana disease. My God. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so so you you grew up, you know, in hostile territory. I mean, you mentioned the Quad Cities. Of course, I lived in Macomb, Illinois for a while, so I'm okay. kind of familiar with the area. And in my radio career, I've seemed to have always landed in a Blackhawks area because uh, before I came back to St. Louis, I worked in South Bend for a while, Indiana. That's a big, big Blackhawks era. Before uh, before that, I was uh, with uh, in Fort Wayne, which kind of a middle ground, but mostly Blackhawks, I would say. Um, so it's, it it was tough for me being a blues fan on the road for so many years. Um, you grew up, you know, obviously where you grew up. And then of course you live in the twin cities, which is, you know, historically either been North stars when they were around up there 
or or now the wild. So, um, you know, besides that one drunken encounter, I mean, how hard is it being a blues fan where you are? Uh, it was incredibly hard because I mean, everybody loves hockey here. I mean, that's, that's one of the great parts about living in Minnesota, regardless of your allegiances. It's one of the remaining hockey hotbeds in the entire country here in the United States. And so it's, it's fun in that way. Generally you have knowledgeable hockey fans. Um, you have a tortured, not just Minnesota wild fan base, but a tortured Minnesota sports fan base. The Minnesota Vikings and the St. Louis Blues mirror each other almost perfectly. And so you have a fan base that understands the you've been good and relevant, but have just the most insane ways to not succeed across <laughs> the franchise history. And so like they get it. And as soon as I explain it that way, they get it. And so for the most part, people have been happy for me because I am that, you know, sore thumb that sticks out um, in more recent history. So they had those two playoff series against each other that were just brutal. What I would call the Steve Ott series where he tried to get under everyone's skin and it just didn't work. Like the team just kind of like, I don't even know. I don't like to talk about it because I got crap for it. I had to wear a wild Jersey to, to my place of work off a of bet. It was bad. Oh man. But, Ugh. and then we had the Jake Allen series, which was hilarious because Jake Allen has, never played that well before and probably not since. And that's not a knock against his play since that's just how good he was in that series. And so, you know, we've, we've had fun back and forth trading barbs with people I know, but um, this last year was definitely pretty special. And now it proves that uh, if we can win one, anybody can win one. So. Well, and I, you guys have the connection now with uh, having to experience Mike Yo too. I mean, both teams have that experience. The Mike Yo experience. One of the best things I heard. So I was uh, I was halfway through an MBA and I was in my HR class um, right when the Blues hired Mike Yo. Now, obviously, basically the same problems he had in St. Louis, I had a front row seat to in Minnesota. Kind of that you lost the teams, something gets stale somewhere in there. Whose fault is it? Players, coach, who knows? But the coach is easier to get rid of. But I was in my HR class at the time, and I told my 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 HR professor, who was also the head HR guy at the school, I said, the Blues just hired a coach in waiting. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Because remember, there's, you know, Hitchcock's still here. Yo is not the head coach yet, but he's going to be next year or however weird way they put it out. And he just kind of looked at me and said, anything with more than one head is a monster. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. I guess it sort of turned out that way because it ended up a weird situation and it didn't end well. But uh, I kind of like that money quote for the Mike Yo experience. Anything with more than one head is a monster. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Another guy that, uh, you would have been there for another guy that the Blues and Wild kind of shared at various points was Pavel Dimitra. And I've I've spoken to some Minnesota fans and some Wild fans, and they remember him pretty fondly up there in Minnesota. Was that the is that still the case? Is he still uh, uh, pretty well remembered up there? He's well remembered among the best fans. Uh, he didn't spend a lot of years with the team, but he was one of the better players during that era before. Um, you know, they really kind of had the Parisi suitor, if you want to call it a dynasty that they have right now. But um, 
so he's well remembered at that point. I he was always a favorite player of mine because he was scoring goals. I I was alive but too young to appreciate the early '90s Blues. So that that actual you know Brett Hall, Curtis Joseph. I remember Curtis Joseph as an Edmonton Oiler, sadly, not as a St. Louis Blue. Now I've gone back and you know see the significance of it, but. So that was my first, you know, introduction of the Blues dynasty, the Grant Fuhr, Demetra with hair for a little bit, and then not with hair for the best years of it. Um, but he actually gave me a stick at a practice I went to as a really young kid. So that's always endeared me specifically to Pavel Demetra that he ended up busting a stick and told a trainer to hand it up to me where I was, you know, seven, eight years old it, at the time. Is that so. the stick behind you up, up above? Yeah, actually. So for for those that have the video up there, yeah, that's it's still still in the collection. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so literally, your hockey memories kind of started when Kiel Center opened. That's it. That pretty fair yeah. to say. Yep. Yep. That's that's it. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So yeah, we are uh, we're we're uh, we're in our mid thirties. I remember a little bit from the old barn, the old St. Louis Arena. Like my first ever hockey memory was a Blues-Blackhawks matchup. It wasn't the St. Patrick's Day Massacre because I, I don't think that was even in St. Louis. But I just remember, like, as a five, six-year-old, seeing sticks and gloves on the ice and players getting separated from fights. And I think that's what that's what made me love hockey so much was that was that old style of, of, of hockey that you just don't really see anymore. I mean... Um, you've, you, I mean, you kind of started your fandom a little bit later. Do you miss the way the game used to be played? I go back and I look, you know, I, I thought I did to some degree, but what's been, I guess the silver lining of all this, you know, live sports shutdown, they're playing a lot of these old games and you're like, man, there's a lot of dump and chase and clutch and grab and it's it's slower it's different so yeah you know it's 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 fun every now and then when you get those you know everyone throws the gloves off you can barely finish the game fights but frankly i it it seems like the sport is kind of better for that post lockout uh trip that they've done i wish the playoffs were maybe the same format back then but that's about it not a fan of the shootout i take it Another weird thing, uh, so where I grew up in the Quad Cities, they had a single-A hockey league. It was the UHL. Um, it had the Colonial Hockey League as another name, but that was their overtime. Yeah. So I'm the weirdest person where my early hockey memories of this, you know, crud minor league, you know, league had shootout from an early age. So that's kind of what I grew up on. So three on three is a lot better. It's nice when you can avoid it, but <laughs> I might be one of the only NHL fans that doesn't mind the shootout. Cause that's got a little nostalgia for me too. Well, personally, I like the three on three because the blues appear to be quite good at it, you know, with, yeah. uh, with, with their setup. I mean, once, once O'Reilly and Perron get on the ice, it feels kind of like an and one mixtape out there. I mean, just, you know, they're, they're, they're so open, so free flowing. I like that part of it. I'm okay with that part of it, but I'm kind of with you on the shootout though. It, it just feels kind of gimmicky to me yeah yeah uh but i want to want to go back to your song here so of course if you're listening to this in 2020 uh we are recording this as we may be seeing a little light at the end of the tunnel of this pandemic i mean things are starting to open up a little bit 
but we're still pretty well in the thick of it here. And uh, you're no ex- exception to that, Luke. I mean, you uh, you work from home, and so take us take us through the genesis of the song because like anyone that's done art before or any sort of music you know before that that you know had any sort of notoriety they can always remember the spark the moment that this kind of hit them so what what sparked uh the inspiration for this song for you well first of all thank you for calling it art i don't think it'll ever be called that again <laughs> i will put that on the resume but yeah uh for me um I've I've always liked doing parody things. It's it's just been a, a fun you know deal for me. I had a video get sort of niche viral uh, over ten years ago um, called the Diabetes Rap because I'm a type one diabetic and just made that and through various niche viral weirdness it got over a half a million views and so that was a wild ride but. That's that's the kind of thing like I enjoy in my spare time now as I've gotten older out of college you just don't have the time for that. I've got two daughters that are, you know, 5 and 2 years old. So um what we've been doing with them since we're we've been home and you know we're all going stir crazy a little bit at this point is just kind of making videos that we've been throwing up on our Facebook page. And so, you know, ones where they're a little bit more featured. We had them dancing to Gloria like we did during the playoffs. Um it's still kind of like a Pied Piper for my youngest daughter. As soon as she hears Gloria go, this thing in the back of her brain, like everything else shuts out and she just starts spinning, dancing in the room. So <laughs> that's, that, that's always been a lot of fun. So we've, we've done some things like that just to keep ourselves and others entertained and smiling during a tough time for a lot of people. But this, this particular project um, came to me right before everything kind of shut down, I was in Florida. I'm an assistant coach for a uh, college baseball team in the area here, small private school and uh, have some, have some country fans, have some Johnny Cash fans uh, just appreciating that I've been everywhere song. It just came up in a loop and uh, just kind of forgot how much I like that song because country is not normally uh, in my wheelhouse, but just how fun it is to hear, you know, how quickly it can go and everything. And it's not like I thought at that exact moment, you know, this is something I want to do. But as we've been going through um, watching all these old games, you know, the Blues website has thrown up a bunch of classic games, just remembering all these um, all these players. uh, It made me think back to the Stanley Cup actually came to Stillwater, Minnesota, which is not far from us here in the Twin Cities. Mitch Ranke brought it here. One of the team's black aces. Yeah. And. He had it for a half a day. And so my dad, uh, who lives still in Northwest Iowa, myself and my then four-year-old daughter went to go see it. And like crazy people, we didn't want to miss it because they were handing out wristbands. Only the first 500 got in. I don't think they had 500 people show up, but we still got there at 2.30 in the morning to line up uh, because we're insane. And we've been waiting for this forever, right? It makes sense. Um, And so... The only people that beat us there was uh, another dad and his grown kids. Um, and we just got to talking about some of just the the weird years, you know, everyone's favorite player, Eric Brewer, obviously, you know, just, just yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've heard, Mr. Robot. I've heard, yeah. Um, and so, but just like, we just started naming all these players like Kavanaugh, like, you know, especially that era that I sadly had to put up with kind of the post Kachuk pre the rebuild is actually on kind of years. 
Um, just, oh my gosh, we made it through all of this. So <laughs> in this mode that we've been in as a family of, you know, just making like funny content, I guess that's where this all sprang from. So um, Sunday I was just sitting around, uh, you know, just uh, about a week ago and just writing down, you know, what are some of the blues players I remember going on the all-time roster, sorting by games played, just seeing all these names that, you know, I'd either researched as a kid or actually watched play and just laughing at some of these guys that, you know, had a handful of 20 games. So then it just became throwing them together. Each, each verse um, goes by decade. Uh, so that the, the first verse mashes the sixties and seventies, but the rest are, you know, not that players don't split a decade every now and then, but try to keep it, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. So just kind of going through there, seeing who makes the cut. Um, had to make some unfortunate omissions. So I think I got pretty much the main players in there and uh, played around with it and tried not to get my tongue tied too much. That's, I think that's got to be the toughest thing is, figuring out how all the names fit into with the rhythms and how it all works out that that had to have been hard. So how long did you have to practice it to really get it to set the right way with the music? I practiced it kind of in my own head and like whisper tone, uh, sort of just to not alienate my own family. Cause the song is kind of an earworm. Um, so I, I did that kind of for a day. And then the next day I was like, okay, well let's actually try to record this. I did it once. I got tongue tied probably in that third verse, the nineties verse where I intentionally made it hard on myself. Cause I figure if I can actually get this one time, then that'll be, you know, golden. I don't know if I can, but, uh, and then I did it again and it was perfect, but the music wasn't loud enough. So I had all in all, I actually probably did it in about five takes. Um, just to, just to get everything right. It wasn't 100% perfect, but I was happy with it and didn't think it was going to get any better. So, and, and just for the record, you know, you didn't have like professional studio, you didn't have like, you know, the lighting rigs and everything like that. This was a pretty bare bones project for you, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, w one of the things, you know, when I'm doing these, I am still working from home. So I'm giving myself, you know, and even our company, they've been really good. They've said, you know, do some things to kind of break up your day a little bit because it's hard to, you know, work like this. Um, and so I was like, I can't spend forever on this. I actually do have to get back to work at some point. So um, the hardest part was that, you know, I was doing it from a cell phone. So I had that kind of propped up sitting on a TV tray in, in my man cave down here. And uh, the hardest part was that I had the hockey gloves on and I had to make sure to, you know, press play and get the glove back on. So um, I've got my Alexander Steen game gloves and game stick and game helmet on while I'm doing this and trying not to sweat too much while I'm, you know, pushing buttons here and there and trying to actually think about the song to boot. So, yeah, it, it, it was more of a, a mental exercise, if, if, if nothing else, than a musical one. So you, uh, you know, of course, you had rehearsed it a couple of times. You got the names right and you got everything locked down. And then it comes time to record it. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording here. And, you know, you mentioned you didn't have like, you know, professional, you know, editing, you know, software or anything like that. But you nailed it in one take. We had to get it all the way through. It's too fast to break up and 
frankly, I think people respect it less if if they can tell that there's a clear break or I do like a star wipe after one verse or something. We it's like, no, nah, it's not going to work. We, we got to try to nail this in one take. We so. would not have picked you to be the new theme song if you had done it in multiple <laughs> takes. I'm just warning you right, right. now. <laughs> That's right. No, that, that, That's that, respect. It, it was, seriously, it, it was wonderful. So like, you know, now, now that it's out, you know, I mean, besides, you know, you know, these two knuckleheads from St. Louis deciding to use it as their, you know, new theme song for their podcast. I mean, what's what's the response been? Uh, response has been pretty good for a video that, you know, has only been up at this point for about a week or so, but, uh, it's positive. I haven't done too much self-promotion for it. I tagged a few people, uh, St. Louis blues history on Twitter had the, had the early retweet on it. Uh, and so it, it kind of got a good bump out of the gate with that, but, you know, frankly, I just hope people enjoy it. There's, there's only, I'm not going to make this a, a a new career for myself i'm not going to uh you know i i live in the wrong place and uh i don't know if i'm i'm talented enough to 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 hit the road necessarily so but uh i just hope people enjoy it honestly i hope it i hope they laugh during some of the lean decades i i hope it you know have uh, at least most people's favorite player in it somewhere in there um i hope that i don't have to record it many more times or do it live because I might have a heart attack on someone's program so <laughs> you know these are all the things that hopefully people just enjoy it it makes them smile and uh, it kind of pops up in in various fun places just in all of what you did I mean not anything that I could ever have done to not only just collect all those players but then fit it into a, a rhythm and into a song it takes a very special person to do a parody and you've got the Weird Al look, and obviously you got the Weird Al talent. So thumbs up in my book. I love it. I love it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I, I uh, a few of them in there. Uh, I had one person say that they were missing Nelson Emerson. He was actually on my list. He didn't quite fit. Um, I had uh, one person say, interesting choice of rhyming uh, Janny with Shanny. I was like, yeah, those two seem to go together. I don't know what it is, but uh, <laughs> they also have an interesting history, too. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a little inside joke for some of your more knowledgeable listeners That's there. Right. But, That's uh, right. There's, there's a reason Shanahan got traded, and that was the big reason. So, yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, Luke, I, I want to thank you so much for being on Blue Notes. I want to, you know, thank you again for letting us use your song as our theme song going forward. And uh, if people want to find the song or they want to find you, I mean, go ahead and plug away. Where can we find you? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just out there on YouTube. It's not a highly active channel, but um, if you just type in, yeah, if, if you type in uh, I've been everywhere, St. Louis, it's, you know, St. Louis blues edition is what the, the name of the video is. Uh, you can actually see the face behind the voice. I guarantee it doesn't get better than just hearing the voice. So I apologize in advance, but, uh, you can see me try to sing into the end of a hockey stick, I guess. So that's something for you. But um, yeah, so that's that's really what it is. I, I just hope all your listeners are doing well out there, that uh, they're staying safe, and uh, hopefully we get hockey back here real soon. Yeah, I was thinking about putting like our chat on the internet on via video, but then I remembered there's a reason I work in radio, and it's not because of my beautiful face. So, uh, <laughs> so it'll just be audio probably. But Luke. Thank you so much again, and uh, you know maybe maybe we'll hear more from you down the road. I don't know. I I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out a musical career for you quite yet. That was that was good stuff. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right.
right, well, before we get to our round of eight brackets, I do want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Cool Hockey. And look, jersey lovers, you know, hockey lovers, have you ever needed an excuse to buy a new jersey? How about possibly winning a Cool Hockey gift card? Is that reason enough for you? Well, from now until June 1st, any jersey purchased through our link will automatically enter you into a drawing to win a $175 Cool Hockey gift card. All you have to do is go to coolhockey.com slash THPN. Again, that is coolhockey.com slash THPN. Buy the jersey that you think you should have by now, quite frankly, and then tell us on Twitter which jersey you ordered so we can connect you to your purchase for the live draw, which will come up on June 6th. And that's it. If you buy a jersey through our link between now and June 1st, you will have a shot at a $175 gift card thanks to our friends at Cool Hockey. And actually, if we see a bunch sold by middle of this week, May 15th, if we see at least 10 sold, we'll bump it up a little bit. We'll make it $200. How about that? So be sure to use the promo code THPN for 30% off. And again, that's www.coolhockey.com slash THPN. Buy your jersey. Tell us on Twitter and be entered to win a $175 gift card. And as always, our episodes are sponsored by Manscaped. This episode of the Blue Notes podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? You know if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. Have you ever wished she was smoother down there? She probably has too. If you're anything like me and or just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect below the belt. Manscaped has us covered. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Whew! One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates growing areas for closer and more precise trimming. That's insane. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code THPN at manscaped.com. Your balls will Thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping again with promo code THPN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code THPN. The best in men's below-the-belt grooming. All right. Thanks to our friends at Cool Hockey and Manscaped for keeping us going here during this, uh, not just this pandemic, but just overall. And uh, they also are helping bring to you the bracket of our own. And we have hit the round of eight. There are eight Blues players left out of the 64 that we started with. And last week, Wags, we had the before and after hole forwards and did not quite have the drama that uh, the defense and goaltenders had no not at all i mean bernie Federico took down red barrington 100 to nothing the one that we fought the hardest for 
wasn't even close. Uh, we were pushing hard for Gary Unger and yeah. what he did for the Blues during that 70s time period. He only managed a measly 30% against Brian Sutter. So Brian Sutter moved on to, to face Bernie in the in the round of eight. I was shocked that that was not closer. I, I also was surprised too, but then again, you know, a lot of people just simply may not know who Gary Unger is, or maybe we're underrating Brian Sutter. I I, I, I don't know. There's There's been a – I've noticed – that Brian Sutter has been the the faithful for him have been pretty faithful. I mean, he swept Chuck Lefley, he swept Wayne Babbage, and he took out Gary Unger rather handily here. So we'll see if he's got another round in him. But that was the closest matchup of this last round, the seventy to thirty. Uh, the afterhole forwards also did not have a lot of drama and wags. Uh, the clock struck twelve on Ryan O'Cinderella there. Yes, it did. He uh, it was a tough matchup. I mean, that's, it was a tough argument to make against Brett Hall, especially yeah. considering the brackets kind of named after him. Uh, yeah. But Hall took care of him so easily, eighty nine to eleven, and then Vladimir Tarasenko beat Keith Kachuk ninety to ten. That is that one was shocking to me. I thought that would be a lot closer because in terms of performance, those two are hard to separate. Just an overall point production, so that was kind of a surprise, but. Uh, you know, just kind of like what happened against Pierre Turgeon. I mean, I think it's just that, you know, what have you done for me lately? Kind of a mentality. And, you know, Tarasenko's good. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you, sit here and say that he's not good. He's, he's a tremendous player. It. I, I just do, I do find the loyalty towards him a little surprising. I just think because he was so hyped coming into the Blues organization, uh, not just by fans and scouts, but the you know the, the organization itself really pushed for Tarasenko to be the face of this team. They never really pushed for a guy like Terjan to be the face of the team. And even though he turned into a face, Kachuk was never really pushed as that guy to be the leader outside of the organization. So it, Vladimir is the guy that's been really put into the public eye, and I think that's why he's been so easily won in these last couple matchups. Well, not only that, but Tarasenko did, you know, you know, help bring the team out of its mire that it was in the post-lockout era. He was, you know, the offensive catalyst for the team for so long. Uh, and, and and let's face it, I mean, you know, look, look at the playing styles. I mean, Kachuk was definitely not a flashy guy. I mean, he was, he was a rough and rugged, you know, clean up the mess in front of the net type of guy. He was like the hockey equivalent of a janitor. You know, I've never heard of a flashy janitor in my life. Uh, whereas Tarasenko, he is that speedy, you know, sniping, you know, offensive talents, you know, from from a from a totally different land, you know, of, of Mother Russia. Uh, you know, he he the guy is flash. He is he, the, the, that's his game. Um, and the Blues, you know, really didn't have a guy like that. I would argue since probably like Pavel Dimitra. You know, Dimitra was was a, was you know a very you know, a quick, you know, snipey offensive forward who seemed to have a lot of flash to his game. Um, you know, and and I when I saw Tarasenko play, it's like we haven't had that since Dimitra. So I think I, that's hundred percent correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just it just it, I think the style has a lot to do with it. And it's gonna be an interesting interesting matchup today because he gets to go against the namesake of his region, uh Brett Hall here today. But for for now, we will go ahead and we will start with the defender. Oh, no, excuse me, yeah, the defenders today, which is actually just down to two. I keep I keep forgetting that we're in the round of eight, so we are actually down <laughs> to the final matchups for each region. I'm so used to saying at least two matchups. Um, but in the defense region, we have Chris Pronger 
versus Al McGinnis. Uh, and getting here uh, to this point, Chris Pronger is, uh, he does have a couple blemishes. Uh, he beat Jeff Finley 90 to 10. I think that 10% was probably a couple smart Alec fans and not Jeff Finley fans. I think we had a couple <laughs> fans from Edmonton vote on that. And Edmonton fans don't like Chris Pronger for, for some reason. Um, and then Chris Pronger uh, took out Jay Bomeister 94 to 6. Jay Bo did get a sympathy vote there, I think. Uh, Chris Pronger then uh, swept Bob Plager in his first sweep of the ma- uh, of of this region, um, and then on the other side, Al McGinnis came in as a number two seed. He swept Sasha Havanoff one hundred to zero. No surprise there. Faced a tricky matchup with Colton Pareko. Uh, he ended up winning seventy to thirty on that one. I think the feeling there is that Pareko could be you know looked back upon as you know the same way we look back on as at McGinnis. But just not yet. That's his issue. And then he had a very tough matchup in uh, the uh, semifinals of the region. To uh, he ended up beating up Alex Petrangelo fifty-eight to forty-two in a very close, very tough matchup. Uh, I think we both could have seen that one go the other way. And uh, I think the right guy won. I mean, not just, and I'm not saying that just because out of bias. Uh, but uh, I think if this bracket were held maybe five years later and Petrangelo resigns in St. Louis. I think that goes the other way. I think you're right. Uh, Considering the fact that he also brought the first Stanley Cup to the Blues organization, that's going to weigh in his favor. But McKinnis was so good for so long. Uh, I was surprised that it was so tough against Petrangelo, or not so tough. I was surprised that Petrangelo didn't win in the simple fact that you know, Petrangelo is the captain. He's got a lot more weight on his shoulder. Al McKinnis never was the captain of this team because uh, Chris Pronger was here. Uh, and we talked about in the past that Al McKinnis seemed to always play second fiddle to Chris Pronger. The fact that Petrangelo is the captain, the leader of the team, won the cup, has uh, the offensive accolades, not as great as Al did, but does have offensive capabilities. I was surprised that Petrangelo did not win this and. Uh, this one matchup last week. Uh, but you're right. Al McKinnis is a phenomenal person, Hall of Famer. You can't fault him for winning. And I think five years from now, completely different story if Alex Petrangelo resigns with the Blues. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And it's, and it's, uh, that, that'll be an interesting argument to have uh, a few years down the road. But you kind of touched up on, you know, I think what might be the difference in this matchup here between Pronger and McGinnis. You know, the this was the dream pairing for the Blues in the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, Pronger and McGinnis. I mean, Pronger won a Hart Trophy. He won, um, you know, he won the Norris uh, during his time in St. Louis. And he really, I think, you know, came into his own, you know, once he got paired up with McGinnis. And then he had the, you know, the veteran, uh, you know, experience and leadership that McGinnis had. Um you know, because when Pronger started off in St. Louis, I mean, he was not liked here at all. Uh, he was booed every time, you know, he would go on the ice just because he was traded for Brendan Shanahan, who was beloved here in St. Louis. And a lot of a lot of, a lot of Blues fans still love him, even though, you know, he went on to greater glory in Detroit. Um, which, by the way, I've, I finally decided, Wags, I can no longer hate the Red Wings. I, they, they, they can't hurt us anymore. They're in the East. Who cares? Uh, we so, still beat them anyway. So yeah, we we still beat them anyway. Exactly. They're gonna get the number one overall pick. They're gonna they're gonna get Lafreniere, and you know we'll see you know where that team goes from here. But back to Pronger. Um, 
you know, Pronger played for nine years in St. Louis. He played in 598 games, 84 goals, 272 assists for 356 points. He was a plus 140. He had 931, 931 penalty minutes, regarded really as one of the nastier players of his era. I mean, he was a guy that if you were on the other team, Wags, you did not like going up against. No, not at all. He was a guy that people feared to go out on the ice with. Um, when they when the teams would play the Blues, that's who they would be keeping their head on a swivel to look out for. As soon as Pronger touched the ice, it was like, okay, where is he at? And it wasn't just players that knew that too. You know, you listen to the old broadcasts of those games, and the announcers were like, okay, Pronger's out there, watch out for him, watch out for something to happen. And he wasn't afraid to get his nose dirty. He wasn't afraid to stick up for his teammates. That's why he was the captain of this team because he took on every aspect of the game that you wanted him to take on offensively, defensively, leadership wise, physicality wise, you know, 931 penalty minutes is no, nothing to, to sniff your nose at when it comes to a defenseman, especially a captain. I mean, you look at what Petrangelo has done. He's got way less penalty minutes than Pronger was ever did. Uh, it just Pronger was that epitome of what you wanted in a captain during that time frame of hockey. Now, granted this day and age may not be the prototypical guy, but in the 90s and early 2000s, this is the guy you wanted centering your back line. And having a guy like Al McInnes next to him only made him that much better. Okay, and I think they've, I, I think you can make the argument they made each other better. Uh, look, Pronger was a six foot six, 220-pound guy who had offensive skills, who had very solid defensive skills, was rough, was, uh, during his time in St. Louis, pretty durable. I mean, he seemed like... Mm-hmm. Every every couple of years, he'd have something that would you know nag him or you know bring him down for you know m- much of a season. But he still had a lot of seasons where he played like eighty games, eighty one games. So he was he was on the ice, you know, you know a lot for the for the Blues. Um, some couple negatives with Pronger. Number one, as a six foot six, two hundred twenty pound guy, he wasn't the most graceful skater in the world. <laughs> Let's just say that he was a big. You know, he looked a little clumsy at times. I mean, he held his own. I mean, he wasn't bad. Um, but uh, even he likes to joke that uh, he wasn't the greatest skater in the world himself. And then the other thing that I think, you know, drags him down a little bit just in terms of history is that we talk a lot about his tenacity and his rough play. Uh, sometimes he went a little overboard and would, would, would get – he was always good for, like, the – David Perron style of bad penalty, you know, where you just like, what, what are you doing, Chris? You know, you, you ask yourself, what the hell was that? What you did not need to put it, that stick in it up as, you know, what, come on, what the <laughs> hell? Uh, you know, just, just, just things like that. Sometimes Pronger went a little too overboard. Well, I mean, um, it, would, it would be one of those penalties that after the game, it would be like the third period in a close game. And then after the game, you'd be like, Chris, what was going through your mind? when you took that penalty and it was something that the guy said like two weeks ago, the last time they played during warmups and you're like, when that's the time that you chose (laughs) to take that penalty. (laughs) That's the time to cash in on the receipt. Yeah, Chris. Okay. Um, Yeah. And I think that's probably why we remember him so much because, because it it did seem like those penalties did come in inopportune times. Uh, So that was like the one knock on Chris, you know, during his time here was that he tended to frustrate you a little bit as a fan. Uh, on the flip side, you know, you have Al McGinnis, uh, who in more ways than one was the number two uh, during the, his time in St. Louis, not just with his jersey, 
but it always felt that he was the second fiddle to Chris Pronger, and he literally lived in Chris Pronger's shadow, it feels like, although he gets his respect. He gets, he, I mean, he, I think the, the entire league understands that Al McInnes was one of the greats of all time, you know, just, just as much as, you know, the, the they regard Chris Pronger like that. Uh, McGinnis played in 10 years in St. Louis, played a few more games than Chris Pronger, although I think it's like a difference of 15, 613 games in total. He had 127 goals, uh, 325 assists for 452 points. He was a plus 132, um, and actually, I'm, I'm looking at his plus minus numbers. He was a plus 371 in his entire career. That is insane, you know, when you combine his Calgary numbers. Um, and that just kind of goes to show you what kind of player the Al McInnes was. When he was on the ice, good things were happening for your team. Uh, and it's not just offensively. He was also a very solid defensive defender. Um, I was very happy uh, when at the age of 35 years old, 1998-99, Al McInnes won a Norris for his play. And, it was a t- and he's a guy that had he played in a lot of different eras, Wags, would have have would have had a trophy case full of Norris trophies, but he played in a very tough era where you had Ray Bork still going, you had um, Nick Lidstrom, you had so many great defenders that uh, Alan Forshaw was a guy wags that just kind of seemed to get lost in the shuffle now and then. He really did, and and I think that's one of the reasons why it's going to hurt him in his matchup with Pronger because you know Pronger swept pretty much through his rounds you know 90 to 10 94 to 600 to nothing yeah. and not even and it wasn't against guys that you knew were easy walkovers i mean bowmeister i expect was i was expecting to get more points and, and the fact that he shut out bob player just goes to show you what kind of guy pronger is but then you look at mckinnis and you talk about the borks and the lidstroms and things like that mckinnis has a lot of comparables when it comes to defensemen alex petrangelo was so close because he and al shared a lot of the same traits same thing with Colton Pareko. We're already comparing Colton Pareko to Al McInnes, which is crazy considering he's a Hall of Famer. You can compare to Al McInnes, and that's why he didn't get the pub that he normally should have gotten. You can't compare to Chris Bronger. And that's, I think, where the where the, the line's going to be drawn is McInnes, Hall of Famer, amazing player, guy I have so much respect for, uh, but he was so good at being – a good player that he never like became great at anything outside of the slap shot. (laughs) And (laughs) And I think that's kind of what's going to hurt him. Yeah, I I think it is. And everyone that, you know, knows McInnes or has played with him will, will, will tell you that the first thing he, people forget he was such a great defensive defenseman. He was great. I mean, he was, he was, he he was, you know, he wasn't a mean, nasty guy. He, He could, he could hold his own though. He, I remember he actually did get into a fight one time during his time, you know, in the Blues uniform. It didn't end very well for him, but, you know, he was willing to, you know, get chippy now and then when the when the play warranted it. But that wasn't his natural game. You know, it, he wasn't a mean, nasty guy like, you know, Chris Pronger was. By the way, I, I like looking at HockeyReference.com and seeing the similarity scores for these players. And uh, uh, before we make our verdicts here, I'm going to run down the uh, similarities for both Pronger and McGinnis here. Starting with Pronger, uh, his most similar players uh, in, in in his career, uh, based on point sh- uh, uh, adjusted point shares, King Clancy, Sergey Gonchar, Brian Leach, another guy that he had to, uh, McGinnis had to compete with for Norris trophies, Sergey Zubov, Larry Robinson, Brad Park, 
Chris Chelios, Scott Niedermeyer, Zdeno Chara, fantastic comp in my opinion, and Red Kelly. Um, when you go to McGinnis's, uh, take a drink every time you hear a similar name. Nicholas Lidstrom, Paul Coffey, Ray Bork, Dennis Potvin, Phil Housley, Larry Murphy, Larry Robinson, Brian Leach, Chris Chelios, and Red Kelly. You don't have a liver right now because I just repeated so many names that both Pronger and McGinnis compared to in terms of their overall impact uh, on the game. So now we now we got to figure out who's going to win this one. Uh, I think this one ends up being Chris Pronger's toughest challenge uh, so far. I think you're going to see, and this may be... Again, I'm I'm biased towards Al McGinnis. I I I I love McGinnis growing up more so than I did Pronger. Although I appreciated Pronger too. Um, I think I I think people might throw a couple sympathy votes towards McGinnis uh, to make this one kind of a close one. But for me, there there's one thing that separates McGinnis and Pronger, and that is they both won Norris trophies. But only one of them won the heart as a defenseman. And as a defenseman, to win the heart trophy, that is extremely rare in the history of the heart trophy. And so for me, I'm going to give the edge, as much as it hurts me to say as a McInnes fan, um, I'm going to give the edge to Chris Pronger. Yeah, I think that's 100% accurate. I'm going to go the same way. You said that they both won Norris trophies, and they both did it in in that era with Lidstrom and Bork and Leach and guys like that. So the fact that both of them were able to win the Norris shows you just how good they were and how good they were together. Uh, but the fact that Pronger was so widely respected that he ended up winning the Hart Trophy as well. He, he, we talk about Mike Liut and how he almost won the Hart Trophy as a goalie and how that's almost impossible. Being a defenseman winning the Hart Trophy is next to impossible. It just does not happen very often at all. And for Chris Pronger in that day and age, too, because he was going up against some superstar players. I mean, that was back in then days when the Red Wings were really, really good. Uh, at different points, I think Mario Lemieux was still playing. You still had Gretzky near the end of his career. I mean, there's so many guys that you had to go up against offensively that could have won the Hart Trophy. And, and here's Chris Pronger as a defenseman, someone that can just shut down a game and shut down an offensive player's game that he was considered the best player in the game and won the Hart Trophy. That, that just, you don't see that. Um, it, it does hurt a little bit that McInnes was a little bit older when he's here with, with the Blues, you know, 30s into his 40s. Um, it, his gameplay and his, his statistics stayed the same the entire time, which should give him a little bit of a bump. And I think it's going to be very, very close. But, yeah, I think Chris Pronger is the guy that's going to come out of this bracket. Yeah, I think the Blues get the advantage of having Pronger in his prime, you know, versus McGinnis when I think he arrived in St. Louis when he was 31. So, you know, that starts the proverbial downward slope of a person's career. Although McGinnis stayed stayed very solid for a long time, as we've talked about. Uh, I just I just think that Pronger was just that much better. You know, just, just – it, it was it – was, you're talking about – Two Hall of Fame guys that are very hard to separate. It just Pronger was just a little better, in my opinion. Um, next matchup here. This one is going to be. This one's really going to be left up to interpretation here. Uh, we have number one seeded goaltender Jordan Bennington going up against the number two seeded Grant Fuhr. and 
to the path to get to this point here for uh, both of these goaltenders. Uh, Bennington, it looked like he was going to fee-fi-fo-fum his way to this point here. He had 100 to nothing over uh, Greg Millen, 100 to nothing over Glenn Hall, uh, who, of course, by the way, this is uh, being recorded, I believe, on the 50th anniversary of the Bobby Orr goal, you know, where he goes flying into the air. And the Blues goaltender that surrendered that goal was Glenn Hall. And I still, I think he still picked himself up from uh, being inside the net. You know, <laughs> kind of fell on his bum there. Um, and then Bennington went into the last round going up against Curtis Joseph. And my God, the dramatics in this one. Uh, at one point, Curtis Joseph was leading 53 to 47. Bennington rallied and survived uh, by winning 54 to 46 over Cujo. Um, Proving that uh, even me and you, Wags, we both grew up with Cujo. We both loved Cujo. And by God, we both underestimated how much Blues fans loved Cujo. We did. Uh, I mean, it was shocking. We thought Bennington was going to walk over. It wasn't, we didn't expect it to be 100 to nothing like the, the previous two matchups, but we thought it'd be somewhere in that 80 to 20 range yeah. where Curtis Joseph would get some sympathy. Hey, I remember him playing. He was my favorite goalie. But uh, those kind of votes. But people were really adamant about Curtis Joseph being a better Blues goaltender than Jordan Bennington, who just completed the greatest goaltending season in history. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I, I mean, mean, come on. And a half a season at that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so so Bennington is here, uh, albeit, you know, limping into this uh Regional, this uh, regional finals here. Uh, he's taking on Grant Fuhr, who swept Rick Wamsley in the first round, 100 to zero. Uh, ended up beating uh, Yaroslav Halak, 88 to 12. I think that was a little recency bias there for Halak. Uh, and then Fuhr uh, ended up defeating Mike Leut, 62 to 38, in a in a good matchup, but I think one that me and you both that kind of we look at that result and we can both say, yeah, that's about right. Based on based on what we know about the fans and and their uh, their favorites, yeah, I mean Mike Leute is a guy that he leads the Blues in all time wins as a goaltender, but he played on such a terrible team. I, I think a lot of people, if they really look at Mike Leute, they will sit there and say he was a good goaltender, but was he good enough to potentially lead his team to a Stanley Cup final and victory? Whereas Grant Fuhrer, in the short amount of time he played with the Blues, even at his age. People were like, this is it. You know, we thought, you know, without Cujo, we wouldn't have a goaltender that would be able to take us to the finals or possibly win a Stanley Cup. And Grant Fuhrer played so well and endeared himself so well as a fans that he was looked at in his advanced age as being a guy that could take this team to the finals. And if not for an injury, probably would have. And I think that's what set him above uh, Liut in this case is the fact that Liut was so good and won so many games on a bad team but Grant Fuhrer was the guy that was destined to take the Blues to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, it just, you know, fate stepped in in the name of Nick Kiprios, but we won't talk about that. Uh, we will talk about Jordan Biddington, though, here, who came into this as our number one seed. Uh, he won the Stanley Cup in 2019. You may have heard the story. It's kind of a good one. Um, Biddington has a little, it's fair to say, we can call it maybe about a season and a half of experience, you know, in terms of uh, gameplay and game time with the St. Louis Blues. He has played in 83 games total. He has a 231 goals against average and a 917 save percentage. Uh, he has eight shutouts in total, which is good. Um, 
he uh, his best season, of course, was of course going to be the one that you know he won the cup in uh, when he when he came in, played 32 games, so half a season really. Uh, had a 189 goals against, which was best in the league, and a 927 save percentage. He was second in the Calder. It's bullshit that he didn't win it, in my opinion. Uh, he was fifth in the Vesna, tenth in the Hart, and uh, he also received a couple All Star votes as well, which was amazing given the fact that he would have had maybe like a month to make his case for an All Star appearance at all. So, uh, so there you go. Uh, playoff performance. I mean, what can we say? Bennington was absolutely great. Uh, he had uh, he played in 26 games in uh, 2018-19 playoffs, which was the most in hockey. Um, he had a 16 and 10 record. He had the most wins and most losses. Um, he uh, he had a 9.14 save percentage, which, which was uh, which was not the best in the playoffs, but still really good. And a 2.46 goals against average. And oh, by the way, a legendary game seven against Boston to help the Blues win the Stanley Cup. As 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 people look, rem- remember Bobby Orr and his flying goal about fifty years prior to that. You know they'll remember Jordan Bennington. You know standing on his head to stop those shots against Boston, and when they think of the Blues winning the Cup, that his performance wags in that game to me is one of the most iconic goaltending performances in NHL history, uh, convince me otherwise. I can't. <laughs> Good. I, I didn't think you would. I didn't think you would. Just uh, that, that, that was a rhetorical question. I'll put it this way. Going into game seven of the Stanley Cup finals, I was not, just like Jordan Bennington, nervous. When we got to game seven, I knew Bennington was going to play well, and he proved us right. There was no nervousness when it came to us being able to prevent Boston from scoring. The nervousness came from us being able to score on Tuka Rask in a game seven. I didn't know how that was going to play out. I was perfectly confident in Jordan Biddington by the time game seven came around because of what he did previously. And to say that about a rookie goaltender is almost impossible. And he made that happen. And I'll still remember that save in the third period where he stretched across the crease and denied oh. That Bruins player, I think. Yeah, with with, with his ankle. Yeah, I mean it, it, that that will be that's my Bobby Orr moment. Is that play right there? I remember that. That's the statue. Is him with his leg outstretched, stopping that shot. That's going to be for me what Bobby Orr was for Boston. Yeah, it, it it was at that moment. I remember I was in Enterprise Center for Game Seven uh, for the watch party, uh, and I was actually sitting up in the KMOX booth because hey, it was open. Why not? And, you know, I can say like years later that, hey, I was in the KMOX booth when they won the Stanley Cup. Wee! Um, <laughs> it was kind of lonely up there, though. But it was I was watching that, and I, and I watched that save, and I just, you know, and I think at the time it was, I think it wasn't it still 2-1 to one or 2-0? Yeah, it, it was close. It yeah, was it still, was 2 to nothing. The game was still in reach for Boston, and I just, like, when he made that save, you know, I just had, like, an epiphany. I mean, it was it, it was an absolute, just, like, I could not believe what I was seeing. It, I, I was watching a legend being made right in front of my eyes that that that's how good that was and then the first period saves which is just it was just such an amazing performance and one that I will never forget you know as long as I live um and so that's Jordan Bennington for you here I mean the 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 downsides with Jordan Bennington here I mean we've you know talked about his pros I mean he wins the cup you know he becomes kind of like the face of the franchise overnight he does have a short body of work you know compared to a Grant Fuhrer 
you know, Grand Fear played four years in St. Louis. He played 19 years in total. Uh, Grand Fear's a Hall of Famer, although I think mostly for his exploits in Edmonton, uh, where he was just tremendous. Um, but in St. Louis, he was very good as well. He played four years in St. Louis. He played a total of uh, 249 games, which is a lot in four years. But Mike Keenan really rode, you know, a few are pretty hard, especially the first year when he played 79 games. Um, he ended up uh, with a record of 108 and 87 and then 41 ties. Uh, he had a 900 exactly save percentage, which for that era was pretty good. And a 268 uh, goals against average, which again, for that era, pretty darn good. Um, Grant Fuhr was a big reason why the Blues should have and could have gone to the Stanley Cup in 95-96. He, again, he played 79 games. He uh, had a 287 goals against average and a 903 save percentage. Good numbers for that time. He was 6th in the Vesna voting, 6th in the Hart voting that year. That gives you some perspective on just how good he was. And, you know, it, it's weird to say that a guy like Grand Fear was carrying a team on the same season when you had Wayne Gretzky and Brett Hull on your team. But alas, there you go. That's how good Grand Fear was. And I think that's why Grand Fear uh, has made it to uh, the finals here uh, in in pretty not when not totally dominating fashion because Liut gave him a run, but I think the fans respect what Grand Fear did for the Blues in the late '90s and especially that one particular season. Um, so really, it just this one is going to be about body of work versus short-term success. And for me, as as great as Grand Fear was, and and he, and I love Grand Fear growing up. He was a very solid, very reliable netminder. A uh, very calm personality, very kind of laid back personality. Like I watch his documentary, and he just, just he's he's a guy. He he's a nice guy, you know. He but he's not but not excitable at all. I mean, the the, the guy is like a rock in so many ways, um, you know. And, and Bennington's the same way. I mean, I I I look at you know when you look at personalities, I I I look at Jordan Bennington and how cool, calm, and collected he is, and how nothing ever gets to him. And I see that, and I see a lot of Bennington and Fuhr, or excuse me, I see a lot of Fuhr and Bennington, I should say, because Fuhr was the same way. He wasn't a boat rocker. Uh, he never looked nervous either. You know, you know, back back in his time, he definitely, you know, he just had that cool head about him. Um, really, these two goalies are kind of comparable in a lot of ways because both had to overcome adversity to get to wearing a blue note on their uh, on their chest and the Blues uniform on them. Uh, Fuhr had to overcome personal issues, drug issues. He was kind of becoming a journeyman. Uh, he was picked up only because the Blues stupidly, you know, got rid of Curtis Joseph, and Keenan was desperate for a goalie. Um, whereas Bennington, of course, we know his path throughout the minor leagues. Both are inspirational stories in their own right. Here, um, again, for me, and to to pick Pronger over McGinnis came down to one trophy. And for Bennington versus Fear, I think that's also going to be the difference here, and that is Bennington has the cup, and Fear doesn't. Uh, what do you think, Wags? Once again, I, I don't want to disagree because I can't. <laughs> Jordan yeah. Bennington came in and basically just lit up the entire league uh, in in half a season. Went on a run, set the record for most wins by a rookie in postseason history. Won the Blues their first Stanley Cup. The Blues wouldn't have been where they were at 
without Jordan Bennington stepping in and playing like he did. Uh, Grant Fuhrer can say the same sort of thing. Uh, you know, the Blues wouldn't have been where they were at without Grant Fuhrer. Uh, but the Blues of that time frame also had so much star power that they probably could have overcome a lesser goalie. Um, whereas I don't think this Blues team currently could have overcame not having a Jordan Bennington on their team. Without yeah. Bennington, they don't win the Cup. Uh, despite the, the theatrics of Schwartz and O'Reilly and, and guys like that, if not for Jordan Bennington, they don't win the Cup. If Jake Allen's in goal and the Blues make the playoffs and continue to go, no slide on Jake Allen, they don't win the Cup. It's right. Jordan Bennington is the reason why. And that's and like you said, the Stanley Cup is the reason why I'm going to go with Bennington over Fear as well. Yeah, I agree with it. And by the way, you know, we were, we were talking about similarity scores, you know, with the last round between Pronger and McGinnis. Well, Bennington doesn't have any because he hasn't <laughs> been in the league long enough to get comps. Uh, but fewer his comp- uh, his comparables. Some interesting names here. You have former Blues legend Tom Barrasso as his top comp. Uh, you have Gump Worsley, the very good uh, Canadians uh, goaltender. You have uh, Dan Bouchard, Nikolai Hobby Bulin, the Bulin Wall. Uh, Kelly Rudy, Mike Richter, uh, Craig Anderson, who, of course, is still playing with Ottawa, uh, Billy Smith, Glenn Resch, and last but certainly not least, Mike Liute. So there you go. There's some com- some fun comps there for you here. But I'm I, I'm going with Bennington here, and it'll be if – th- if it goes the way I think it does, the uh, final four matchup would be Chris Pronger versus Jordan Bennington. So – Start thinking about that, guys, if, if, if that is indeed going to be the matchup and how we compare that apple to that orange, let's just say. Uh, yeah, I know, right? That's, that's I mean, that's... Mm. We've, we've really put ourselves in a pickle, haven't we? <laughs> we kind of did, yeah. We really have. I mean, because how, how how do you compare those two? But we'll let's see if we get there, first of all. I mean, who knows? It could end up being Al McInnes versus Grant Fear, for all we know. Who knows? Very true. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. And that's an interesting matchup in and of itself. Um, all right, so now we're going to go over in, into the forwards, and we're going to start off with the before-hole forwards. And uh, we have the number one-seeded Bernie Federko taking on the number two-seeded Brian Sutter. Uh, Federko has swept his way to this point. He has he swept Blake Dunlop. He swept Joey Mullen, a Hall of Famer, and uh, he swept Red Berenson. 100 to nothing, 100 to nothing, 100 to nothing. Uh, Brian Sutter, on the other hand, has also had a pretty dominant run to the uh, finals so far. 100 to nothing over Chuck Lefley, 100 to nothing over Wayne Babich, and 70-30 over Gary Unger, a guy that we thought that might be closer to Brian Sutter in the voting. Uh, but it turns out that you guys really like your Brian Sutter, and that's that's perfectly fine. He he was he was he was a fine player in his time. Uh, not a Hall of Famer though. Bernie Federko is a Hall of Famer. He has played. He played in exactly 1,000 games in the NHL. The important part is that he played 927 of them with the St. Louis Blues for 13 years. Uh, he had 352 goals, 721 assists for 1,073 points. Uh, he was a minus 123 during his time in St. Louis, although that was partly just because during the early 80s and late 70s when he was playing, the Blues were not very good. Uh, that that's one thing that we have learned throughout this whole exercise is that the late 70s early 80s blues were kind of a nightmare um but Federko was uh, the best of best of them all uh and he's a tremendous guy a tremendous broadcaster and Brian Sutter uh was uh his left winger for a lot of his time in St. Louis I, I mean I think that was the pairing was 
Federico and Sutter, you know, during that time period. Uh, Federico, 779 games played in 12 years with the Blues, uh, 303 goals, 333 assists, for, and he was a minus 66 overall. Another important number to note with Brian Sutter, 1,786 penalty minutes. He was a goon during his time. He was a player to be reckoned with, uh, definitely, during his time. He also played on some pretty bad Blues teams. You know, the again, he was also late 70s, early 80s. Um, he really, uh, he only played one more full season after 1985 and that was 87, 88. And then he decided to call it a career. Um, Sutter's name hangs from the rafters, just like, uh, Bernie Federko. And I'll go ahead and run down some similarity scores here between Federko and Sutter here. Just, just for fun, just for some interesting comparisons. So, uh, for hockeyreference.com's uh, similarity scores for Bernie Federko, uh, Jason Pominville is his top co- uh, comparison, followed by Bobby Smith, Steve Sullivan, Brian Prop, Ryan Smith, Oilers legend, Vacheslav Kozlov, John McClain, Hooley Smith, Doug Waits, and Mike Ribeiro. For Brian Sutter, his top cops are Anton Stasny, Don Luch, Anson Carter, Neil Colville, Essa Tikkanen, Danny Grant, Bill Goldworthy, Clint Smith, Jason Blake, and last but certainly not least, Ryan O'Reilly. What a what a group. Uh so <laughs> so this one here, this one's a little easier for me than the other two, just simply because Bernie Federko was a hell of a player. He and and he's got the numbers to back it up. He's got the uh the Hall of Fame entry to back it up, and the and, and you know unlike a guy like Fior who split his career, you know he he got most of his accolades in Edmonton, uh, and McGinnis got most of his accolades in in Calgary. Bernie Federico is a Hall of Famer as a St. Louis Blue, and you cannot deny what he did with the St. Louis Blues. Sutter was a very good player, but keep in mind, not a Hall of Famer. Uh, also, a guy that. Uh, seem to miss miss games every now and then he didn't, doesn't have a full full 82 under his belt um slight knock that's really not fair to him though he just played in a tougher era uh, but for me i think this one's all for durko what do you think uh, i'm going to flip the script and i'm gonna go with brian sutter on this one are you i, I am uh it's, i'm just kind of looking at things again and looking a little bit deeper than just point totals and things like that. You talk about trophies and you talk about what a player means to a team and how other teams, players in, in the league view them. Bernie Federko, great. Great scorer, led the team in a lot of different categories, has lots of points, um, was nominated or was part of the heart conversation twice, 15th in 80-45, 10th in 85-86. But then you look over Brian Sutter. And he, he's not going to have the points. He's not going to have the, the offensive accolades. But he was top 15 in the heart three different times with the high of six in 84-85. He was also mentioned in the Selkie can, uh, conversation as well multiple times. And, and that right there tells me that the league and the other players around looked at Brian Sutter in a different light than they did Bernie Federko. When Federko was playing, there were guys that were scoring. There are guys that did that on every single team. You know, there's the years of Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier. Uh, you had Mario Lemieux coming in near the end of the um, end of that as well. You know, guys that were scoring. So Federico was in that same mold. 
the league and players viewed Brian Sutter as, in my mind, a better player for the team that he was on than Bernie Federico. He was looked at as somebody that was the glue of a team, somebody that held that team together. And if we're talking about best glue, I have to go with Sutter because, you know, the Blues have had a ton of guys that have scored a lot of goals. Brett Hall, Vladimir Tarasenko, the two guys in our other matchup are all part of that. You don't have a lot of guys that are that glue of a team like Brian Sutter is. And it looks like, in my mind, that the league and the players also saw that. So for me, if we're talking best blue, Brian Sutter is the best blue in this bracket for me. It's interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's when you, when you look at Federko and you look at Sutter, I mean, one thing to note is that I think Brian Sutter between the two was the bet was the better pure goal scorer. Um, Sutter had a season where he scored 46 goals and then he had seasons of 41 and 39. Uh, Federko's highest was, was 41, but he was more often towards around the 20, 25, maybe 30 type of goal scorer. Whereas Sutter, on the other hand, you know, you can count on him for anywhere from 35 to 45 goals in a season. He was just a bit of a better goal scorer. And I know it's not the, you know, perfect, you know, indicator of a person's defensive prowess. But the fact of the matter is, is that they played in the same era and Sutter's uh, plus minus is almost twice as twice as much better than Federko's. Uh, Sutter had a minus 66. Federko had a minus 123. And as you pointed out, you know, Sutter was in the mentioning for the Selkie at least three times. Federko never was. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that definitely Federko was more of an offensive-minded guy, whereas Sutter was a two-way guy uh, for sure. And not only that, but it's like I, I, I look, you know, look at the end of their careers. I mean, Sutter, he his final season is 1987-88, and then he immediately becomes the head coach of the St. Louis blues immediately. I mean, there's like, there's no, there's no, you know, go to the minors and learn how to coach for a few years and then we'll call you, you know, no, it's like, okay, you're the coach. That's how smart of a player that Brian Sutter was. Uh, whereas for Durko, I mean, he gets straight to Detroit and the blues kind of continue on, you know, and it's, it's like life goes on and they started getting better and better. Of course, it, part of the reason that they got better and better was because one of the players that the Blues got for Federko was Adam Oates. So that that's you know that you know I mean, if they had if they had traded for you know some bum named George Smith or something you know who knows maybe I'm making a different argument there. <laughs> but regardless, uh, I think I think there's an argument for Brian Sutter. I I, I just think that Federko's he was he was known as the magician on offense. He was such a creative offensive player. I I give the etch for Durko, but I I can see the argument for Sutter just in terms of intangibles and you know maybe you know what he did on defense you know versus for Durko I I can see it. Yeah, it, it's not it's not a great argument. It's not a uh, a slam dunk argument. But I definitely think Sutter has the right and the ability to challenge a guy like Bernie Federko. There's a reason both their jerseys are in the rafters, despite only one of them being a Hall of Famer what Brian Sutter meant to the Blues, both on the ice and behind the bench, just shows you that he doesn't have to be a Hall of Famer to be one of the best Blues in the organization. Uh, so you know, Federico came back, and yes, he's a part of the broadcast and all that stuff, but Sutter did so much for the Blues post-playing career as well that affected the team and the organization, whereas Federico came back, and yes, he's probably, I'm sure he has input into what goes on in the organization, but 
he never coached the team. He never had any his hands involved in it. He's more of a, of a broadcaster for the Blues. So I think that's where the difference for me lies. Is Sutter was able was viewed at as somebody that could continue on the Blues legacy post playing career, whereas Federico didn't. So basically, we have the St. Louis Blues equivalent of Stan Musial versus Red Shane Deist here. You yeah, know, pretty much. I mean, I mean, Musial had the better numbers, um, but Shane Deist stayed with the organization, was a coach for a long time, and was just as revered, even if his numbers weren't, you know, as good as Musial's, who uh, never, never coached, and he just, you know, he he enjoyed retirement. Uh, I can see that. I can see that. Um, and I'm cur- I'm really curious how the voters, you know take your arguments and uh, and interpret that here because this this could be an, end up being a closer match than I'm thinking it is and I yeah, hope it I, is, I hope it is. <laughs> yeah I hope so too uh we'll uh, so we'll see what happens there and then the winner of that matchup will take on the winner of the afterhole region and that is of course number one seeded Brett Hall versus number two seeded Vladimir Tarasenko. And no, Brett Hall did not sweep his way to the finals. He did sweep Wayne Gretzky 100 to zero. Still feels weird saying that. Uh, he swept Adam Oates 100 to zero, and then he beat Ryan O'Reilly 89 to 11. So you know the Cinderella story did get a you know little bit of a chip into uh, Brett Hall's uh, aura, but uh, not nearly enough. Uh, whereas Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, he. Uh, he had, a, I would say, a pretty easy run to the finals. He swept Craig Janney 100 to zero. His toughest matchup was against number 10 seed Pierre Turgeon, which he won 75 to 25. And then Vladimir Tarasenko uh, beat Keith Kachuk 90 to 10 last round, and kind of a surprise. So here we are. We have Brett Hall versus Tarasenko, the uh, Golden Brett versus the Russian Tank. Uh, the two offensive players that have really kind of defined the, the eras that they played in for the St. Louis Blues. Brett Hall, I mean, I I hope you know Brett Hall more than just the town drunk, you know, after last year and the guy with the, you know, undefeatable liver. Um, he did play 74, 744 games with the Blues. He did score 527 goals, had 409 assists for 936 points. He had seasons where he scored 86 72 and 70 goals for the St. Louis Blues. And in those in, in two of those three seasons, he brought home a heart, he brought home a Pearson, and he brought home a Lady Bing trophy. Um Brett Hall, uh, he was my favorite player growing up. Uh he was just he was he was everything I wanted to be. He was very self-confident and he was a damn good player. Um and and what more can I say about him? Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, on the other hand, you know, he is, he's to what I am to Brett Hall, what a lot of younger fans are, you know, to, to him, you know, Tarasenko is, has been the face of the franchise, you know, for much of the past decade or so. Um, he is, he's played 507 games for the St. Louis blues, 214 goals, 214 assists for 428 points. He's a plus 75, uh, something that Brett Hall is, and again, Hall was a minus 16 during his time in St. Louis. Um, and a lot of that is just simply because Tarasenko, unlike Brett Hall, actually gives a crap about playing defense. Hall didn't develop that part of his game until later, uh, after he was uh, away from St. Louis. But uh, Tarasenko is a guy that he's uh, been to the All-Star game a couple of times. He's been mentioned in the hard talks, you know, three uh, of his years in the league. 
Uh, he even got mentioned for uh, in Selkie talks a couple seasons ago, which you know shows how he's evolved since he uh, started playing uh, um, with the St. Louis Blues and in America in of itself. Um, he uh, he's he's a he's a dynamic offensive threat, just like Brett Hall was. Um, and and I'll go ahead and run down similarity scores real quick, uh, just to keep up the trend here. So. These are Brett Hall's similarity scores based on adjusted point shares on HockeyReference.com. Uh, Joe Sackick, Steve Eiserman, Joe Thornton, Marcel Dion, Jerome Ginla, Bobby Hall, his father, Marion Hossa, Tamu Solani, Jan Bolovo, and Gordy Howe. That is a killer's row of names. Now, for Tarasenko, his top comps are Max Pacioretty, Alexander Semin, Taylor Hall, Tim Kerr, Eddie Gerard, Gordy Drillian, Babe Dry, who are these guys? Kent Nilsson, Jason Allison, and Carson Cooper. And that tells me something right there. Yep. Uh, that is that Brett Hall is one of the greatest of all time, and Vladimir Tarasenko is a very good player. I think I that's my assessment. I think Brett Hall wins this one pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, just just the names that he's associated with, the fact that you have Sackett, Geiserman, Thornton, Dion, and Ginla, his father, Hosa, Solani, Belovo, and Howe. Like, anytime you're compared to Gordy Howe in any way, shape, form is is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, you know, his adjusted point shares, Brett Hall's, was 15.8 in his first year. The only person that was better in their first year of their career on that list is Joe Sackett, 15.9. Hall's point share adjusted was Point two better than Gordy Howe in his first year. Yeah. So, I mean, that right there just tells you how good he was. And Vladimir Tarasenko's best adjusted point share is 11.2, which that was not until year four that Brett Hall dropped that low. And that was because he, you know, started having other players that, you know, popped up and started helping out essentially. Uh, but the fact that Tarasenko has probably one potential future Hall of Famer on that list. It, that that shows you right there why this is Brett Hall's to win, no question whatsoever. And and yes, that is coming from another absolutely huge Brett Hall fan. Brett Hall fan. Yeah, and, and I'm a huge Brett Hall. We're both big marks for Brett Hall. That that's pretty fair to say. And you know, I I think this one it's pretty obvious. This is going to be this this one should be the blowout of these four matchups, in my opinion. Yeah, I would be shocked if it wasn't a hundred to nothing. Um, I just think so many people. No disrespect to Vladimir Tarasenko at all, but Brett Hall is the face of this organization. The 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 guy that when you think of the St. Louis Blues, that's the first guy you think of. Whether it's Drunk Hall or Player Hall, <laughs> that that's who you think about. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I we're gonna go with Hall on this one, but uh, let us know what you think, fans. Uh, we are going to uh, have four more days of polls and four more days of voting uh, this week. Our first matchup will be the uh, defenders. It will be Chris Pronger versus Al McGinnis on Monday at about noon. Uh, then it will be the goaltenders, Jordan Bennington and Grant Fuhr. A reminder that in the final four. The defense, the whoever wins the defense region will take on the goaltender um, uh, winner. So keep that in mind next week. Uh, this week, though, again, Chris Ponger versus Zamakinis on Monday, Bennington versus Fjord on Tuesday, and then Federko versus Sutter Wednesday, and Brett Hull versus Vladimir Tarasenko on Thursday. 
and the winners of the forward regions will face each other in the final four. And then eventually we will have a champion and uh, it's getting down to the nitty gritty here. Wags. It is. And it's going to be very, very difficult to really choose between these guys because you know, yeah, we've got the top eight seeds in the final eight, uh, which isn't to say that the other seeds weren't, you know, capable of winning, but these guys are legit the best of the best when it comes to the blues. And for us to have to split hairs and find out who the one true best blue is, I don't I don't want to get down to the Pronger Hall matchup and try and make that argument either way. Ooh, and yeah, I if I had to predict what's gonna be the final matchup, I predict it'll be Hull versus Pronger. I think that's uh, and that one is gonna be tough. Yep. I one hundred percent agree. Really tough. because uh, now now you can't say the heart trophy is the the deciding factor between the two because they both have hearts. And neither of them have a Stanley Cup with the Blues either, so... Uh, <sighs> and Santa Cups elsewhere, geez. Mm. <laughs> T- typical Blues bracket, ladies and gentlemen. If that is that, that doesn't describe Blues hockey, just like Luke Whitbin did in our new song, you know, you know, heartbreak's all we know, man. I mean, that's, that, that is what being a Blues fan is all about. So, by the way, speaking of Luke Whitbin, I want to thank him again for joining us on this episode of Blue Notes. It was a lot of fun talking to him, Wags, and I, and, 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 and I just I am very hyped up for, this, for, the, for the new song. I, th- I, I think it's great. I think it fits us to a T. Oh, it certainly does. And I'll reiterate what I said. Anybody that can get that many Blues players that quickly into a song is great in my book. I could never do it. So thank you again, Luke. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, and follow Luke on Twitter at Teriyaki Fingers. He's a wonderful guy, a wonderful human being. And I want to thank you for listening because without you, there is no me, there is no Wags, there is no Luke Whitman, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. Listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.